Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Gray, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. up everybody it's gonzo here and with me tonight oj is back and justin is back again yeah Um, oj you weren't with us last week when we broke down the front office with justin and i but uh chris gets hires larry moe and curly um you're not going to do uh, – hold on. You're not going to do Josh Barfield like that. We wait, just started wait, the show. Whoa, 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 you're not going to do this. Larry Moe and Curly? First of all, let's be completely honest. 95% of White Sox fans have no effing clue who's in front offices and who's good and who's bad, okay? Baseball is a very private world where you have to be really, really involved in day-to-day unless somebody like Bob Nightingale or a writer – or somebody that has insights into the minor league system and somebody tells them this guy's the next greatest baseball mind. Unless you your team's won recently, nobody knows anybody in the minor leagues unless you've been around baseball 100 years. Uh, because at all it takes in baseball is your friend becomes a general manager, you're the assistant general manager. Okay, baseball is not a, a uh, it's not a business where you you go from like when you're a CEO at a company, they usually don't name CEOs that have been around the game four years running a team. Uh, that can happen in baseball. I've seen it happen in baseball. It's like it's like a presidency. It's more about if your party wins, your best friend can become chief of staff uh, of the government. That's how baseball wins. I've seen, you know, this is the greatest team ever assembled front office. Kenny Williams is a genius. Ozzy Guillen, the minority train. Oh my God, what they're doing. And then five years later, you know, they'd be considered the worst of the worst that baseball's ever seen. So I've seen it. I've seen it, buddy. Uh, I've seen it in my world. I've seen with kids that I went to scout school with that did not know what a curveball was different to a slider, and they're running farm, you know, farm systems now. Uh, uh, I've seen where there's uh, guys uh, assistant GMs now where four years ago they couldn't hit a fungo or throw batting practice, and they're making – so when it comes to baseball – you have to see where they worked at, uh, kind of like what their assessment is and if they've made made anything public and, and just try to see the work that they've done somewhere else, uh, what, what that carries over into the new organization. And two out of the three guys have, have been very successful very recently. The third guy, Watson, had success in the past when the Royals were on their on that run in the in the mid-2000s 
Uh, mm-hmm. Success is more of a he's more of a sleeper. He's more of like blockbuster. Uh, and these guys are more of like the more recent Netflix. But Watson's a guy that's been in the game for you know fifteen plus years. I was telling uh, Gonzo about uh, Gene Watson is he's the eye test. He is the the dinosaur in the room to make sure that the foundation. Yeah, he's not even that old. Baseball. He's coming from a couple disasters though. He was there in Anaheim when that shit yeah. started rolling. Um, he has been as recent as in Kansas City and and that disaster that's been rolling. So he's coming. I think he's there. If I was hiring him, and again, I I do not know Mr. Watson, don't know anything about him other than what I've seen on paper, never met him. Um, is he's there to catch Chris Getz as like I'm bringing him as like my mentor to more mm-hmm. of like, how do I get seasoned in this position? It's like when you bring someone like my bench coach is a guy who managed for 35 years in the big leagues, even though he lost every single season and has no World Series ring. Like he's just teaching me how to become an MLB guy. Uh, that's how I see Watson in this case on how to be, make Chris more of a, a season executive and like, don't let me make a huge mistake, get taken on a trade, uh, kind of just overviewing everything budgets probably. Uh, because remember this part of baseball also comes into play. You're not just looking at the talent side. You're looking at budget allocation, hiring other people. When you've been in the game for that long, you know, more people, uh, you can bring in a little bit more old school, uh, mix of what's going on. I think that's what Watson's there for. Uh, kind of like the, the the dad in the room, making sure that everybody does okay. But the other two guys, uh, Mr. Barfield, who's actually from my homeland of Venezuela, in a weird trivia because he was born there, comes from a line of baseball players, obviously uh, a, a baseball family. Uh, started scouting very recently, uh, you know, 2016. So he's not he hasn't been scouting for 100 years because he was he was playing baseball. Goes to scout school in 2016 under the time when uh, White Sox fans are going to get sad about this. I think Tony La Russa was there with Dave Stewart in 2016 with the Diamondbacks. Um, but he stayed the course, and he stayed with the Diamondbacks. And as of uh, 2019, he's been the farm director for the Diamondbacks. Uh, and that's four years ago when he got that title. And we've seen uh, that in the last four years, what the Diamondbacks have been able to put on on the field today, you saw it playing against the Chicago White Sox. That was under his time in Arizona. So – He's had recent success, um, again, former player, uh, you know, in the front office. And then with Bannister, again, a guy that was talking analytics before it was a, it was a popular thing. Um, a guy that had, you know, has, has been working on, on player mechanics and, and in the forefront of that cutting-edge world, pitched himself, which is something that I really like. Uh, usually guys that are analytical did not pitch at the big league level. Uh, Bannister has that. So he's been there, done that, and he's been the farm. He's been the pitching director and kind of the pitching guru in San Francisco. Um, and when you look at the pitching that, that they've developed, in San yeah, Francisco, he's been he he's been building some good, solid rotation. Solid pitching. You know, he's, been, he's been developing young talent, um, fixing guys that needed fixing, uh, and he's developed a, a an average to above average pitching core uh, where you're developing players. Again, he's there to develop them. Um, he's the guy that I think brought Cats into San Francisco at the time, who's now the, the pitching coach in, in for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but he's a guy that knows pitching. So he's had success with San Francisco, maybe not in World Series rings, but when you look at the players that he's worked, that they were under his tutelage in development, he's in the top 10 teams in baseball from a pitching standpoint of arms that they've developed in kind of like their minor league system. So compared to what was, to compared to what was in, currently inside of the White Sox, 
from a success standpoint, this is probably the biggest three hires they've had in a long time. Because when was mm-hmm. the last time an executive of this level has come over and 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 had that much success elsewhere? Uh, Pedro Grafor had more success as a front office guy than he had as a manager, yet he came into the position to be a field manager more than a front office guy. His success that he has that he had in Seattle uh, in his run, but um, other than any, I can't think about a name in the front office that came in and said, "Oh, that guy used to be with this team." We really hadn't had that. Um, even with the coaching staff that that Pedro brought in, there's no coach that you could say, "Oh, that guy just worked with you know a team that won the World Series or a batting champion." Or it, they, they all came from Kansas City, so they just came from just being worse than you were. So this, right. I think, the hire is. I know people wanted like the 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 names that you know all the writers write about the guys that are like the geniuses in the room, the analytical guys. I think that these guys know the game of baseball in the in the traditional way because I hate using the word old school, but they've been around in the game early uh, recently enough that they get the analytics and they're trying to bring these two things together. The part where fans need to realize that their level of impact, I'm judging them four or five years from now. The, the, what when they're coming in their first year they're firing people they're moving people around uh they're, they're you know they're they're gonna get draft they're gonna have to do a draft see the players that they develop and then kind of try to savor whatever's there and develop them quickly but you really don't see that that impact on the field for the next four years i i, I just uh during the game today ozzy senior facetimed me and, and frank the big hurt was on the on the phone, and he was joking because I I said I told you your boys are in trouble, and he goes they're in big trouble, and I said this is like 1986, 1987, but they don't have Ozzie Guillen, and I doubt that they're going to draft Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, Jack McDowell, Alex Fernandez, Jason Beret, Ray Durham, all back to back to back to back, and that's what you get in the 90s. You know they drafted a Hall of Famer. You know they had Ozzie Guillen and Ron Karkovice. I doubt that there's maybe Pantera could be them two together. But when you're looking at core pieces, they, they that those '90s teams when they rebuild, they got they hit they did not miss on those drafts, even on the guys, especially that on the role players. Like the think about players. how every everybody just lined up. You want to let's just look at Ray Durham for example. Played ten years. How he just league. slotted. Ray Durham was one of the reasons why Barry Bonds got to the World Series. But that's yeah. a conversation for another day yeah so 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 from a core standpoint these guys that's their job they got to do what they did in the 90s in the 80s going to the 90s what they did um in those draft class and in those signings internationally when they went in the 90s in the 97s to the 2000s with the Magdals and the carlos lee where white sox fans need to stop thinking about the world series ring you have three in a hundred years if you get to the world series uh you know well i say three in their history one in a hundred years sorry let me rebuttal three in your history i think one in a hundred years and still counting you need to get back to like playoff baseball and like get back to the nineties because now if you win 80, 85 games, even in Ozzy's era, you're in the playoffs. Like I looked at the wild card standing, they're 25 games behind. Like they're, they're, and that's they're, just they're, the wild card. The part that scares me and when these guys come in the room and I hope that they're honest and I love that they have no ties, you know, Floyd Bannister, obviously his father played for the Bannister, his father, Floyd, the weather warm played for the White Sox, but that was like in the 1980s. So there's no connection there, like being from a White Sox standpoint. So fans wanted to like, I guess when you've been around the game enough, you can play six degrees of Kevin Bacon with anybody in baseball. But I hope that they're honest with themselves when they're looking at the run differential 
and they're saying we're going to be back next year. And you're like, you're not minus 14 runs like some other teams out there. For example, the Padres were in a positive run differential. And you're like, that just needs pitching or bullpen. Like, you guys just suck. Like, you guys are – they need to build back up. So the draft class, all that for those – so these three guys that they brought in, I think that it could be their best offseason signing because it's not going to dictate next year's season but could dictate the White Sox not sucking in the future. I'm not saying winning a World Series. I'm yeah. talking about them not being just – we, can, we, we can't judge this, high, this slew of hires until probably 2026, 27, when we see what their crop of players can offer at the major Well, that'd be an embarrassment, Justin. Like, like the part that worries me about this core and, and the people that just left the White Sox was that not only did you not build a World Series team, and that's fine, but within two years, you are an embarrassment that is going to lose 100 games. Like, you did not build anything. You, you build a house that lasted two years. Like, don't build anything at all if you're going to build something. Just try don't to build anything again. I'm just saying, though, don't try to build something. Don't go, don't tank. Like, tanking is only worth if you're going to have a great run for a couple years and you're going to build sustainability. Yeah. They tank without a plan. Correct. Like, you this is a season where you just like kind of put stuff together and see what it hit. There's a lot of white Sox core players here. So when these guys are trying to do rebuild, reshuffle, retool, whatever it is, they got to do a better job than this team did. Even without winning the world series saying, Hey, we want to be 500. Remember this is a team and we can jump to this into going to Griffal's ground. This is a team that Ozzie Guillen said that if Pedro Griffal won 81 game, 82 games, he'd be manager of the year. Okay. And we were like, I agree with that because we thought that someone with a breathing heart and just common sense would win, be better than 500, at least two or three games. And yeah. this team is three games away from losing 100 games in a season where there has not been a career ending, uh, a season ending injury. You know how wild that is? The White Sox did not lose anybody for the year. The year Tony won 90 games, he lost Eloy with a week left going into breaking spring training and had a guy called the Germinator that people thought he was cool because he was fat and had a weird haircut that as his replacement because the White Sox didn't go get anybody like it. Like, they made a burger out of, after him. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, if most most front offices, you're that close to the window because now I do, like, real deep analysis. You go get someone to replace Eloy. They put their money on the Germinator, which worked out perfectly. The guy couldn't have done any much better for those months, but they literally bet on a guy that had no big league experience to be the dude. And it worked out for them. So they were doing gangster things back then. Then now you look back and saying like, if you're that close to winning, wouldn't you just go get an outfielder to replace Eloy when they just told you that half his peck is torn off and he's not coming in X amount of months. And you already know he's going to DH going forward because you don't even want him in the field. So that's what I mean, like replacements like that, where you're looking at players and you're saying, like, if, if if somebody goes down on a team where it's your window, you go and replace them. And those are the mistakes that when I'm looking at the previous regime to this regime and Chris gets, I'm not judging him on World Series rings until he gets at least to the point where you're at a level where I can talk about that. I'm judging you on simple things of are you building a roster that makes sense, not a roster with six first basemen that don't have speed and, you know, literally all do the same thing. Uh, a roster where there's no right fielder for the last six years, okay? Uh, a, a bullpen that's worth more than your starting staff. Uh, you, we don't know if 
the three top pitchers in the in the team are going to be relievers or starters. Like those are the things where I, I want Bannister to be to be honest to walk in there day one and be like, this is what we're doing with Crochet, this is what we're doing with Kopech, and stick with it. Not have this like, well, if he pitches two good games, Griffo wants him to start. Oh, he pitched bad one bad game. Let's put him back in the pen. That's that's what you don't want because not only is your team gonna suck, but you're ruining these guys' careers. And Junior, I believe ultimately what it comes down to is what you just said right there is will Chris Getz with his let's just say his friend at hand and Josh Barfield, do they have the in- intuition and their creativity to overdo overgo their experience? Because they have the lack of experience, but let's just hope that they have, can combine those minds and come up with a good approach going forward. Back um, to five hundred. Back to five hundred. Yeah. Just back to five hundred in the rebuilding mode, and then from there going. I think if they go in and saying we want to build a World Series champion, you are. It's like saying that you have you want to go to the moon, yet you've never left the state. And that, that's a, that's going to be a tall task to where they're at right now. Um, which is going to lead to us to our biggest mistake. This is Griffal's Grounds. You know, I don't have a problem making decisions. I don't have a problem making a call on a, you know, on a, on a pitcher. I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know, on the, whatever our team needs at this particular moment. <laughs> God damn, Gonzo, you set that up like it was an unplanned managerial hire. Uh, this is Grafal's Grounds, and I, I just want to take a second to dive into this. Now, I know this is going to be an unpopular take, but I'm ready to die on this hill. I already got my will written out. The biggest mistake our front office made at the deadline was not capitalizing on the value of Luis Robert. Now, when you break his numbers down and you put him next to a guy like Jake Berger, who profiles just like Luis Robert, except with a little bit less speed and a lot less more gold glove potential, in 546 at-bats, Luis Robert has 144 hits. In 470 at-bats, Jake Berger has 118 hits. Uh, Luis Robert at 38 homers, 80 RBIs. Jake Berger's at 34, 79 RBIs. Luis Robert has 30 walks. Jake Berger has 32 walks. 172 Ks for Luis Robert, 142, 143 for Jake Berger. Now, this is where it gets tricky for me because you you see the talent and the value in Luis Robert's contract, and you're like, hey, if I could just add X, Y, and Z around him, maybe I could get more production from his spot and somebody else's. Well, the problem is, even if you add to the lineup, Luis Robert is batting sub 250 with runners in scoring position. So even if you add help to the lineup, he can st- he's still a liability with guys on base. Most of his home runs are, uh, let's just say, of the solo variety. I said all of that to say this. There is the same amount of offensive value in Jake Berger's bat as Luis Roberts. Now, I understand that Luis Robert is a top three center fielder, but at the same time, you can be in a position to get another Luis Robert next uh, Luis Robert year next year and be in the same position. Jake Berger has provided necessary uh, offensive sustenance from a position of need at third base, and I understand. I want to see Yohan Moncada retire, and I know we can't get rid of his contract, 
but at the oh, in that same breath, you're going to go cheap and you're going to need some right-handed OPS. Why do you move on from Jake Berger? Why don't you capitalize on Luis Roberts' value? You're never going to win a World Series with Luis Robert on your roster. Never. Wow. That's deep. Um, how, how funny would it be if we see that anybody from the former front office ends up working for the Marlins in the next, like, two or three years? Kim Ang and Rick Hahn in the NLCS in 2025 will break my fucking spine. Oh, I'm, I'm just – I think that I think that they're playing their hearts out right now. I, I, I love Jake Berger. I really do. I want to give Jake more than one year. The reason that I will bet for Jake Berger – is because I think that his work ethic and his mental game will outperform other people, and he is getting good at what he is good at. He's not trying to become a good singles hitter, and I think that he has built that if he has, if he makes contact with the ball, the ball is going to go far. He's just a natural yeah. power hitter. Um, and again, I think he's going to get better at third base and, and from a value standpoint. So when we're talking about, and this is going back to the front office, one of the things that they need to do in the first meeting when they, when they talk, in my opinion, again, this is just mine from an educated guest and being around the game. Um, and what I would do if I was, you know, a part of the front office is they need to have a conversation around two players. And those players are Louis Robert and Dylan Cease. Okay. The two play, best players on the offensive side and the defensive side. And, and this is a conversation without marketing in the room where they're telling people we need to, we're going to win. Okay. They, if they win in 2024, it's, a, it's an effing miracle. That's, my dad could be the manager. My mom could be the bench coach. My brother could be, you know, the, on the team. And I would be like, in the family dinner, I would be like, you guys are full of, you know what, if you guys think you guys are making the playoffs next year. That's just, damn. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. And this was, dude, this was a fear that we had if, if Ozzy Sr. got the job. When, when, when you know so much about baseball, you know what you're getting yourself into, good or bad. Yeah, so that's true. Really bad. So, when you're looking at Robert's contract, which, by the way, might end up being the best contract that Rick Hahn did sign in his time with the White Sox, okay? Because when you look at the number of the value of each season that he has, there's three years of him that you have to pay him, okay? Which is only till 2026. So 2027 and 2028, you have two club options, and that's when he gets to, like, the 22 million, like, the 20-plus million dollars. If in the next two years he doesn't perform offensively, okay, he's still young enough that you can move him. And if he does perform, you ride that out and either sell at the highest value or your project that you're trying to put together right now, your time scale has either worked super well and super fast, and he is now the core player still, one of the core players in that team that is ready to compete into an early playoff run, and you think about extension later on, or you move him to complete the package of the future run um, that you need. You might need a pitcher or a position player, and Ruiz Robert brings you that in return. That is a longer-term run because you have a three-year window. With Cease, that window is shortened. If this front office can learn something from the previous front office, was the previous front office let players lose value and not get anything in return for them. Abreu, Giolito, just... Every player that they, they would trade him too late, uh, uh, Chris Sale, one season too late. They never traded him at the right moment to get the value that they needed. And they would always trade them in the downside and never get something in return, which should have been their true value. 
So they need to realize and say, are we signing these guys for a long-term deal? That would be the pro- that would be the situation with C's. Or are we going to keep Roberta as long as we can so his value does go up and we get some production from someone? But don't you run the risk of, uh, like, his injury history still scares well, He's injured, but you already signed him. So he could be like the Otani of the team. He could be the guy who drives in 100 runs and hits 45 home runs. And White Sox fans are like, oh, my God, he's the greatest player ever. And you suck on this team. You can have superstars in baseball teams and lose 100 games. He can win the MVP and be in a last place team. That's what people don't realize. You could be Cease can go next year and be Andre a Cy Dawson. Young. I'm just saying though, Cease can go next year and be a Cy Young, and the Sox lose 95 plus games. It's going to be more exciting to watch because every five days you're like, well, at least we got Cease going on the mound, and you kind of just put your whole season on that one player. But fans don't get this. This is not the NBA where you can get one or two players, and this is just happening. The same thing with the Bears. Same thing. It's like the same disease on two sides of town. Well, we got Justin Fields. Yes, he can't throw and pass the ball to himself and block. Oh, yeah, we got Louis Robert. Oh, great. Who's playing short, second, third, first? It, that's a team sport when you have to have a many players. Basketball is easy. You get two guys, hope they don't get hurt. You, you have a better chance than other teams. Baseball and other sports like baseball, football, you have to literally build the team, get the right coaches, get the right culture. It takes time. You're just not going to turn it on and off. So these yeah. guys, Pedro Grafol, everyone thinks he should get fired because he's not good at his job. That means Luis Robert would have had four managers. Okay? He almost has as many managers as he has years in the big league. Andrew Vaughn, the third one. I'm just being – I'm dude, I'm just – No, for real. That's like Jay Cutler in uh, his offense. Correct. He's, he's had four – at this point, new manager, new pitching, new hitting coach. He, this is like the fourth guy talking about – and then now you're building a culture where players are like, I don't have to listen to no one because these guys are not going to be here in two years. So F you. If I don't like you, I don't have to listen to you. So that's the, all these things that they're battling within internally. But those conversations like, like Griffal saying, hey – are we going to win next year? Are we not like really be honest and say, what's the development? What we need? Like, what do we need from Lewis Robert? Like next year, like, are we going with Corey Lee? Like, are we thinking that we're going to draft? That's when like these minds have to go to work and say, Hey, in the next draft class from two years, there's like these couple guys that we might be in the pick for like catcher. And those are the guys that we're projecting. So like, they really have to do their homework because I, number one, I don't think they're going to go out and spend $200 million and sign guys. And the way that today's market is, even if you go and sign two or three guys, I don't think it's enough to be honest, in the situation that they're in and how in the bottom of the barrel they're at. So I think that with Robert, they really need to really, – I think he'll be here in the long run. But I, I think that they write out those three-year contracts that he has and then see if they move him or re-sign him at, you know, when he hits the age of 30 for some like team-friendly deal and kind of let him like ride out to the sunset with the Sox. But Let me ask you guys this. Do you, do you think there's a high possibility that this is the best Luis Robert we've ever seen? This is the healthiest and most power he's shown. Uh, I think that I think that it could be repeated. I really do. I think that he's a 40 home run guy. Um, if healthy, I think that this is this is who you get. A guy that's in the conversations for an MVP. Like he's a top 10 player in the league, just like what I believe in Cease was because last year he was a top 10 pitcher. So I think that Cease could get back to that because I've seen him do it. So if you do it a couple years in a row, now you become that dude. It's the reason why I always believed in Jose Abreu because he was a guy that was 130 until he wasn't that guy, which he is not now. Then you don't go against him. Here's the thing. You can you can have Andrew Vaughn on your roster. You can have Corey Lee, but that does not mean you cannot have Moncada. You cannot have Moncada 
Colas, and Vaughn. You got to have somebody at third base that hits the home runs that that you know first base might not, and then somebody in right field. So you can have you can build your team as you see. You just got to have somebody to compensate. You got to have somebody to compensate that. Like Ozzie Guillen, they didn't have to worry about him going deep or anything. Why? Well, Frank Thomas was his first baseman. Robin Ventura was the third baseman. So Ozzie hitting two seventy five was like a plus 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 with Ozzie and Carco, but they made up for Frank's defense. Because he, it wasn't great. So you always have to complement, you know, pitching, bullpen, offense, defense, speed. You're not going to have everything at 100%. So it's like, how do you lay it all out while being smart with your money? And, you know, again, I think that baseball fans now are just that much smarter. You know, they have social media. You have people like us talking about the team. Back in the 1970s and 80s, there was two newspapers, one game after the show, and publicly people couldn't share their outrage. Now – we're more we're we're better better versed than probably half the guys that are getting paid to do this day to day. Like legitimately, we're more honest. So it's harder for teams because we're on them. We're like, that's a BS move. You know, we have a we have a segment right now called Grafol's Grounds. Like when when we started here, I thought Pedro Grafol, from what I had heard, okay, just like Barfield, just like Bannister, just like Mr. Watson. Everyone that I talked to in baseball is telling me great things about these guys. And their minds. I look at their resume. They've done the job before. I don't know how good they're going to be. I don't know how good the results are going to be. But people that I trust are saying this guy's going to be good. When Pedro took the job, people had a lot of opinions about his personality, which, again, it could be whatever. There's been managers that have won with horrible personalities. But they said he knows about enough about the game that it's not going to be a problem. Okay, so that's why I was like, well, it's not going to be that bad. He's not going to be an. He's not going to be a, a hinder. To the, to the development of this team. This many months into the season, with one week left of the team, he has not lived up to that expectation. I think, he's a, I think he's a hinder to the development of the team. I really do. I think that him at the helm is a problem to the development of the team. Uh, I think his coaching staff is a problem to the development of the team, especially on the offensive side of the baseball. I don't think he's done anything. This team has not shown anything that says Pedro Grafal knows what he's doing. And I never said that about Rick Renteria in the rebuilding years. I always used to say that Rick Renteria was too soft on the players and that might bite him in the ass at the end. But Pedro has done nothing, nothing, nothing at all in the year that I can say, wow, that's a bright light. The only thing, benching Moncada, benching Pantera. That's it. No, but I'm talking about from pregame conversation, postgame interviews, talking about current players, talking about former players. This is the greatest game in White Sox history. This is the greatest game talking about this guy's not going to be a bullpen guy. Next day he's a bullpen guy. It's just the whole matchup, lineup construction. This is a guy that hit Burger 8 for like two months. We had to fight for to get Burger in the lineup. Okay? Right. So so from a standpoint of people are going to say it's a hit, like, I'm not even, I don't even like comparing him to other guys that we're going to manage because, for example, when you compare him to Ozzy, like Ozzy won a World Series, got 794 wins, 500 of those were with the White Sox. Like Ozzy passed out would have been better, a better choice in in-game management. Uh, Tony La Russa half asleep was a better in-game management. You know, Tony, if I, if I got interviewed and I was Tony, I would be like, guys, me half asleep, I was, I'm a better manager than this guy oh, fully awake and his whole staff. Like that's what people don't get. So that's just sad, man. It is, but that's what they need to start looking at because when they talk to us, Justin, and this is the part where 
I get mad. I don't get so mad, mad with the white size as much as I do like with the Bears because I'm more of like a fanatic with the Bears. They think that we're not watching the games. Like, do you think that I like, do you not respect at least the knowledge as a fan? Like, I'm watching this car crash and you're telling me that we're going to compete next year and there's no bright spots. Like, you can't even be like, you can't even like rely on seats and say, oh, we got a Cy Young right now. Like, I'm I'm hoping for seats to have a bounce back year. Like, before before we get to cease to answer your question justin i'm actually at that point now where i've seen more robert injured i wish i would have seen this breakout come you know a year sooner so i have something more to rely on because i'm at that point where we have and we're about to get into the internal look at the 24 roster but i'm at that part i'm at that moment right now where if i'm chris gets i'm aggressively pushing Luis Robert at the trade, you know, offseason deadline here in December. December, he's at the table. He's at the table. And I want to see what I can get for him with how that contract is set up. There's going to be a lot of value there with the amount of holes we have to fill. I want to see Chris gets aggressive because that's one name last trade deadline with Rick Hahn. We didn't see Luis Robert rumors at all. We saw Dylan Cease come at the last minute, but we saw nothing with Luis Robert, and that was your most valued player at the at the deadline for the White Sox. So me personally, I want to see him get aggressive with it. I want to see what we can do with it. Yeah, because I want to see Chris Getz take a big swing too, and Luis Robert. Yeah, oh. let's face it. Let's face it, OJ. It was the absolute worst time to see Luis Robert go down with another knee injury than right now when he's getting close to that campaign of 40 home runs. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you, OJ, with what you're saying of him repeating it. I just – I'm at that point where I do have and also that hindrance of a risk with his injuries that we've seen over the past three years. No, correct. You know what? And it's something that when you – he had a goal, and I and I and I don't. I'm actually going to look up his numbers right now as we are on the show. He had a goal of 150 games. Okay, um, I don't know if he hit it. 145. One. Hey, so again, I'm, I I I I don't want to be negative when the guy's having a great season. Okay, but that was uh. That was a number that for me was like, okay, at least he is thinking about it of like, he knows that injuries for him are a problem. Okay. He knows it. Like he, when that's your goal, you know that you have a problem staying on the field. And I, and I love the fact that he made that a public statement, but he played 145. Okay. And when I was looking at the numbers two weeks ago, I was like, he's going to make it. Like if you, that, that's your number. You tell the coach I, I'm in the lineup every day. And I know for a fact, from what I've heard and shared, and I've heard it from multiple people, he likes being on the field. So he's yeah, like, he didn't DH. He, I don't think he DH this year. No, he didn't he no, I'm saying, I'm saying, even if he DHs or anything, he's on the field. He's not a guy like he. His rib hurts. He's going out of play. He's not looking at lineup matchups and saying I'm going to take a time off. And there's guys that do that. For anybody that doesn't know that, there's guys that look at who they're playing and I'll take this day off, and it happens. Okay, it's part of the game. So he's not like that. So I said he's gonna hit. He's gonna make his goal, and and I and I was like, and he and his production's there because he hit his goal, and that's when you're looking at his numbers. Okay, at 145 games, again, he's gonna finish with 38 home runs. 
So it's not 40 home runs, okay, or 45 home runs. So he's going to be right under, like, having a great year, a good year, but a great year for standards of, like, that MVP type of caliber where 38 does not look as good as 40. But had he played the 152 games, then you're like, man, he might have gotten it. So I think injuries are always going to be a part of his makeup. I don't think that he's ever going to have, like, a non-injured you know, I'm gonna have. It's a, not gonna be. It's not gonna be a clean 162. Like when we're gonna break down the second baseman later in the show, I always look at production on time played at the position, and like I do give credit for guys that are like 10 years in a row at 152 games. Like that guy was like on, okay, because uh, that affects production. I think that in the next three years he's gonna have times in the DL, and you're gonna and you hope that it's nothing uh, season ending but there's always going to be nagging injuries. So he's not going to be a guy that when I make my roster, I'm penciling in for 150. Because if you haven't played 150 games at the youngest point in your career, when you're the most pumped up, when you're the youngest, you're not going to do it in the middle of your career when you're older, more tired, more seasoned, a little bit smarter at the at-bats. You're like, uh, now, now I'm penciling you in for like 130, maybe 145, maybe, but you're not hitting 150. So for him, he's going to be, he right now in my list is like, I'm penciling him for like 120 worst case scenario, 135, whoa, 140. We we got a lot of games out from him just because, and again, do you guys know what his injury was in the knee? Do we know how bad it is or how not bad it's not? It's not. They said it's, so, they said it's a sore knee. Okay, if your knee is sore and you got 38 home runs, you're out there on one leg DHing and saying, I'm trying to hit 40. Yeah, exactly. I saw that it was a MCL strain. Yeah, so again, MCL strain, like so from a from an injury standpoint, I think that in the development moment, again, Barfield, Bannister, Watson, Getz, uh, anyone in the front office, if there's a good enough offer on the table, because his team friendly contract is that great, I think if they the first impact that they can make is make some really good moves and speed up that process of not having to wait two or three draft classes yeah, because yeah. now you might make some moves for Cause again, these guys have been working these drafts and these development for the last four or five years. So they might, they might be able to make a deal with a team where the guy that you thought was even better than the guy that your own team drafted and say, mm-hmm. I want this guy, this guy, this guy. And now your development, it gets a lot quicker. We know going into Oh four without Robert into 2024, that, it's not going to be a season where we're going to be 500, but you're like, we're looking at the development and that's a quicker rebuild, meaning quicker to the goal than having guys that are getting older. And then you start adding younger players. I think that that's, that's a harder way to do it because they really need to bring in some young core guys and kind of see, okay, what can we make this happen? And if this Pantera can bring the most back in return, mind you, not only does they return taking money off the books, and maybe you say, I don't want to build with a with a with a superstar center fielder. I want to build with a superstar third baseman or a superstar. Do you need a super? Do you okay? Let's just let's just be perfectly honest here. Luis Robert is a top three center fielder right now as it stands in the league. I yes. think it's Luis Robert, Michael Harris, and I don't give a fuck who else. Well, defensive, uh, yeah, all around, yes. So, I, I said all that to say this. I think the White Sox can replace Luis Robert, and I'm going to tell you why. 
we need to get back to playing traditional baseball, hitting behind runners, moving guys over, making sure where we get an opportunity instead of hitting into a double play, have the RBI fielder's choice on the board. Those are some aspects of the game that you don't necessarily need a Luis Robert. Like if you look, if you look at the Toronto Blue Jays right now as it stands, Whit Merrifield has been the MVP of the team. And that's a roster with Bobachet, with George Springer, with Vladdy Jr. I think we are now coming up on uh, the horizon of the fact that maybe the White Sox need an army of role players instead of going for these fan graph uh, elite. Well, and that's what Tampa is. And that's what Tampa is. And they've built the way that they've won. And again, when you see results, that's what gives you success. And I think that you can do it. Um, and this is something that even my father, Ozzy, believed in, that you just need the right construction and the right team. So if you're a manager that likes running, you need guys that run. Okay, Ozzy's like, I'm a very good in-game manager moving pieces. It's really hard when I have only guys that are boppers because mm -hmm. my job is not to do anything. I'm not going to hit and run when I got PK, Jermaine. So he had to change. That's why style. Carlos Lee got moved. Correct. Correct. That's why Carlos Lee got moves because he's like, I, I can do a little bit more with a couple guys. So they got a Gucci. They got so you build again in the image of your manager uh, of what who you or what you think, what type of baseball you're going to play. The part where it's interesting, okay, and people talk about winning and losing. And and when you're looking at this, if you're winning, people don't do not care what, who's on the roster. There's a lot of rosters out there with a lot of superstar names that are taking a lot of L's. Okay. With a lot of really bad contracts. You need to adapt and say, okay, how good is my team? And can I have a solid core? When I'm saying a solid core, and this is the way that I would like to build, a team that regardless of me signing or adding anybody in the offseason, I'm 500, okay? Like my team's 500 with players above replacement, like my guys. If I add an offseason signing, now I'm competing for a playoff. That's what the White Sox need to get to. So if Lewis Robert, if a team says, I'm going to take Robert, and the Sox say, well, you got to take Moncada, and we'll give you Lewis Robert, okay? And they can package guys that they need to move money, and Robert gives you two or three pieces to the to the to better the roster. You then, knocked it out the park. Then you knock it out the park because why are you going to keep a superstar player, which is a mistake that they made in Anaheim with Otani? Yes, he is the greatest player, but he's not packing the house every day in Anaheim. I look at the game; the stadium's empty. Okay, you're not going to the playoffs. You're delusional if you think you are. Okay, you got Rendon's bad money. You trout's on one leg. You have a moment here to literally replace players and bring a hole back and kind of set yourself you, up. You know your team is terrible when Shohei Otani can't even move the needle. That's what I'm saying, though. So you can't do anything. You haven't done it any year you're there. And instead of moving him, they keep him. So that's a problem. That's where you cannot fall in with Robert, where now you, you become a team where you have a superstar and you build, and it's great for marketing, mind you, great for marketing, the face, the guy, oh, you know, all that. But when it's like winning on the field, you're just a one, you used one player pony show. I'll show you a team, uh, Salvador Perez with with Kansas City. They're like, oh, so you bring Salvador to the White Sides. I'm like, yeah, he'll beat Kansas City. He'll mm -hmm. hit his numbers, he'll hit his stuff, but he doesn't have the players around him because they didn't they didn't make a transition good well enough to keep competing while having him on the team. And those that those are the things that, it happened with the White Sox with PK. They signed PK to a long-term deal. They wanted to rebuild. They had to keep PK the whole time. So it happens. It's happening with Miguel Cabrera right now um, with Detroit. Those are the things that you're trying to get sell at the highest and say, 
you know, could you had sold Miguel to a contender halfway through the contract that somebody might have taken a bite just because of his production and then and not have the last five years? That, those, are the, those are the assessments that you have to do as a general manager, especially with a talent like Pantera. Because the last thing you want is a guy like Pantera because another team's always going to take a chance on him, uh, especially a team that has the money and, the, and, and needs to compete because they know that they're that close. The White Sox are not close. And anytime they tell a fan and a player, and I'm saying this, my, my, my grandmother and my mother could be the manager. Ozzie Gein could get hired tomorrow, which I think my mom would stroke out because how, how far we know this team is, we like we want a 10-year deal and like something crazy like that because it's going to be a hard work. This team, I'm not going to lie, there is work to be done. You There is, yes, can it be fixed? Absolutely. Anything with enough time can be turned around, but with enough time and resources. But you cannot lie and say, well, this is just uh, – this was just a, a one injury away type of season or, or I'm saying, dude, right now, Tony La Russa won 90 plus games, took one game against one of the best franchises in the last 10 years in major league baseball. Okay. With Gavin Sheets and Leary Garcia, is the heroes, he was a hero. Okay. But here's the thing. Then you come the next year and you're, saying that your team is bad because Tony's on the team and that team won 90 games. And those same people are telling me that this team that lost 100 games is going to be better next year. It's the not making people. sense. How, the hell are they, how are they going to get better, though? How? Because Pedro has more – like, how are they going to get better? Who's going to have a better season offensively? Well, okay, T.A., look at T.A.'s numbers. He's not that bad. Is he MVP, T.A.? No, but is he, is he hitting 0 no, he's actually had a really good second half. That's what I'm saying, though. So when people are talking about production, it's like, wait a minute. I, like, there's guys that are, like, not having a great year. Like, they're not having their best year ever. But they're not, like, hurt 100% or hitting, like, 0-110. Like, it could be worse. Like, the Cubs got a guy named Pete Crow Armstrong right now who's been in the league for almost a month and a half and still hasn't registered a hit yet. Correct. And you can there's nobody on the White Sox roster like that. You can have a season like the 2007 White Sox where people were injured, guys were lost for the year, because those are the worst season when guys are not allowed to produce. Eloy Jimenez year uh, when the Germinator was there. That's Eloy's worst year. Why? Because he wasn't able to be on the field. Pantero's worst year was the years that he was not able to be on the field. But if you're getting some type of production, it's better than nothing. So let's transition to what you're along that topic of terrible years. Dylan sees, I'm going to pull up a tweet here. He just elapsed 200 strikeouts and Dylan sees his one strikeout shy of joining Chris Sale, Ed Walsh as only White Sox to notch three consecutive seasons of 200 or more Ks. Clearly after this tweet, you know, he lapsed that and went over 200 strikeouts. But he's in company of, gosh, it's two of the best pitchers in White Sox franchise and Chris Sale and Ed Walsh. And uh, Chris Sale, or not Chris Sale, sorry, Dylan Cease, he has been one of eight pitchers in the, in the current MLB to go over 200-plus strikeouts in three consecutive seasons. One of eight. And that's in a season where the White Sox have been, what, 40 games over, under 500 and getting close to 100 losses in uh, in a year. Um, 
this is not just individual struggle. This is a team struggle. Um, but what you said earlier, OJ, with bringing in Salvador Perez, I didn't care about what he does with the bat. The only reason I personally would want Salvador Perez in a White Sox uniform is because I want to see what he can do with, with the pitching staff. One, that you have a top-notch arm in Dylan Cease, but I totally believe that with a guy like Selby coming in, it would be a catcher that Dylan would start to trust more with his stuff that Sylvie can handle. Not only handle it, but Dylan Cease is not the only one with his the way that that guy competes with his, you know, the analytics side of it. Like, that guy is aggressively in between starts looking at the opposing lineups and, you know, putting that work in. And you know a guy like Selby would be right there at step with him. And I truly believe that, you know, going forward, that I, I think personally Cease will bounce back just by himself next season. But if you bring a guy like Selby Perez to handle that, I think he'll take that next jump. Um, some of the other aspects that he's struggling personally. But then also, not even talking about Dylan Cease here, but this is likely, and we'll get into it shortly, but this is likely to be a very young staff of internal arms you're bringing up, and you need a, a guy like Selby Perez to handle those young arms, teach them the way in the big leagues of how to pitch. Um, uh, yeah, could be. Oh, well, how come he can't do that in uh, in Kansas City, though? Not No good arms in Kansas City? Uh, Cole Reagan no. is decent. Yeah, they just turned his career around in a trade. Yeah. And... No, I, I think it makes sense. So I'm going to read you some numbers right now on Dylan season. Mm-hmm. People talk about his year being so horrible, Okay. He lost eight games on both seasons, the year that he was going for the Cy Young. Eight games, both times, okay? He didn't win seven more because he obviously 14 and seven. It's a difference, seven games. But your team sucks, okay? So a lot of those games that he probably won in 2022 were games that were outslugged and you got more wins. The big difference is the ERA, 2.20 to 4.66, okay? With the FIB literally almost – a uh, couple of degrees, there's a difference of almost a whole point there. So 32 starts, three three seasons with 32 starts, amazing. In current baseball, three seasons with 160-plus pitched innings, okay? Three seasons with 200 strikeouts. Three seasons with a FIB of three under, under a four, okay? A whip under a... 1.5 in those three seasons. And when you're looking at those numbers, guess what I'm th- thinking about for building C's for next year, for a 28 years old, 2024 season. Guess what I'm predicting? I'm predicting 32 starts, 160 innings pitched. Okay. Same thing that he's done this year. I bet so you, you could pick, you could pencil in the 200 strikeouts. Yeah. I'm not, he's going to throw 200 strikeouts again. You put Dylan mm-hmm. another staff and that, Seven and eight might look very, very different. Mind you. Well, let, let's just say Dylan Cease pitched for the Padres. That seven and eight looks different. Even pitching for the mediocre Mets, that seven and eight looked different. Look at the time they took him out of the game with, with, with Pedro. Okay? Could Pedro could have saved him a couple of those losses or maybe gotten him a couple more of those wins or more, more of those wins that were lost by the pen. Okay? Or when you're pitching differently, you know if you make one mistake, the game's over. But when you're looking at the home runs, he gave up 16 the year of the Cy Young. He only gave up 19, okay? But he did give up more earned runs, almost double the number, obviously. Because I think I think the thing about – I think the, the thing that separates this uh, 
season with Dylan sees is he's not stranding inherited runners this year. Everybody's coming around the score. Correct. Correct. He's not leaving the runners on scoring position. They he's get not stranded. Scoring. Yeah. The runner gets on second. He's not leaving them there. You know, uh, again, and that's, and it could have been, this is the funny part with White Sox fans. Had the White Sox been winning and this team was good and Dylan C's record was 14 and eight, but his ERA was 4.66, they wouldn't be saying that he's having a bad year. Nope. They wouldn't be talking. They'd be talking. He'd be Spencer Strider. Even though he be, he was getting lit up double the earned runs from the year that he won the Cy Young, people would be saying, he's doing, he's doing amazing. He's pitching great because his team is doing great. And they're giving him run support, even though and this is coming from analytical, analytical. So when I look at that number, I say, hey, Dylan still has the he's healthy, he's pitching. That's when you do, do the analysis. I'm like, Dylan sees is a guy that I can pencil in for the next season and say he's gonna give me 160 innings, he's gonna strike out 200 pitchers, and he, if he is healthy, this is what his makeup is going to be. Even on a on a shitty team, even on a really, really good team, this is what he has. Side young season, we can work with that with Dylan. They need to be able to do that more with other players. And that's the development they need to figure out and try to say they can't come next year and say, in order for us to develop better, we need Dylan the cease to have an ERA of a 1.99 strike out 250 batters. Okay. And have, and, and have 40 starts. And you're like, why? Because he's never done it and he's never going to do it. That's where you, that's the comparison of uh, they can't come next year and say, Andrew Vaughn, our goal is for you to have 40 home runs. What? No, Andrew, your goal is 20 home runs, you know, 40 doubles, whatever it is like that is reachable for him and him have a good season for himself and play better as a team. That's where they need that development. They're trying to make superstars of every position. And you're not going to get that. And that's where no. these guys, to, and that's why I want the rookie guys to come up and let them develop at the big league level. I'm tired of these guys being in double A AA and triple A. We know Pantera was the greatest minor league player of all time, followed by my guy Moncada. When they go to the minor leagues, they just crush it. Develop in the big leagues. What can you do in the big league level? And the fact that in the month of September, I'm going to bring these names up here in a second, but Nastrani, Mania, Leisure. Those are three guys right now that are on the brink of breaking the MLB and why haven't they in the last month of baseball where you can gain starts, break, you know, that first start in the MLB, get a good look at them before you hit the offseason and the development programs. Because let's face it, that's not going to happen in, fi- in the next five games. So their first exposure is going to come in spring training. Like, why not break it now and then allow them to gain confidence going into the offseason? So that they, when they break camp and spring training, they have some more. They have, they have already had confidence going for them. Um, which brings us to the main part of this segment is our internal look at the White Sox organization for tw- the roster, the potential roster in 2024. And I'll break it down. I'll see what you guys come up with. But so far at, at catcher, you're likely this is not going to be an internal internal thing. You got Corey Lee, and he's probably going to be the backup. So. We know for sure that that starter is probably going to be coming external. But um, besides catcher, we're going to move on to first base. We know we got Vaughn there. Second base, that's a big hole right now. You're probably going to be allowing Sosa and Rodriguez internally to battle it out there in camp and give competition to guys like 
TA at short and Makata at third. You got to let these two guys get that competition. So, you know, allow, allow them to, you know, push. What about Rami Gonzalez? Is he still in the fold? He's going to be healthy next spring. Yeah. Well, he's also in the bring fold. Him. His daddy, Pedro, will bring him. Yeah. Yeah. So I said Hansel Alberto might make a comeback. Never. As far as as far as up the middle, you got those. Yeah, Timmy in the mix there, but those are three names up the middle. Mancada, um, we know he's there at third. I think Ramos needs another year, so he's not going to be there just yet. So right away, you know those. That's your middle of the infield. Um, DH personally, I, I I hope that we trade Eloy with the durability and get some uh, assets back. Um, would have loved to have Berger still here to fill that role, but he's not. So you're going to have to look to see if you're going to keep, if you're actually going to keep Eloy at DH or if you're going to bring someone else in, in this off season. But again, that's not going to be internal. So right away, looking at the infield, you're, you only have Corey Lee as a backup and Sosa and Rodriguez up the middle for your infielders internal wise. And it, it gets worse than that. Because in the outfield, Benintendi and Robert left to center. No one in right field. Because I, I mean, I wouldn't put sheets there. I'd personally. And this is what. Colas. And this is what I'm getting to. I don't think he was. He showed he wasn't ready this year. I would keep him there in AAA, starting off 2024. I mean, he hit those couple of home runs, Gonzo. Where's Oscar Colas? As my daughter says, you know what? Uh. Again, development, I think they need to develop on the big league level. I think that might have been over-promised, under-delivered. It's like his body, he's he's in fifth grade, but reads at a first-grade level. His body tells you that he's big league ready, but he hits at a single-A level. It's like (laughs) like that's legitly what, what you're having here right now of like, yeah, everything tells you that he is MLB ready except his batting. Oh, it's his number one tool. Okay. Is it ever going to be big league ready? That's a big jump, man. That's a big jump. Triple A to the big leagues is a big jump. It's a big adjustment. It takes time. It takes years. There's players that have developed later in their careers, four or five years in. Um, There's guys that have been used as platoon. I'll give you two examples. One of them is going to sound bad because he's having just a horrible, horrible last two years. Javi Baez in his development with the Cubs was part-time player, um, not an everyday starter, kind of sprinkled in Jorge Soler, uh, Kyle. Um, and now, you know, they've had big league careers. The White Sox have been a team that they just love putting rookies out there to play from day one. And it didn't work out for them in right field. I don't care what you tell me. If you start anyone in right field with MLB experience over Oscar Colas, your team is better in April. Kadir, what's his name? Not not Kadir. I, I just went old school. Kepler. Kepler, any any of like you could have brought anybody in like any old school guy in retirement and brought him in. Uh, but I was thinking about Conforto, for example. Um, and those are the situations where they the, that new head trust of uh, especially Barfield of saying, hey, this is where we really need to focus and really hone in and say, hey, we need to have you can't be in a situation where now it's a little bit better where you don't have any catching prospects. Okay. Um, when there's a couple of years ago when there was only Zach Collins and once he didn't work out, you know, uh, you got guys in the big leagues that you never thought you'd see in the big leagues getting that many at bats. That's the reality of it. And, and then when you go spend, spend wisely, but 
it's going to be interesting because I want to see how this front office handles it. Uh, again, I cannot take it from what the manager says because he is so full of it that I literally think he's making things up. Like, I don't think that half of the stuff that he says is either true or that anybody told him he's just out there just talking because he likes to hear himself talk. Um, and it's not even anything. He talks like, he talks like I would say like Sparky Anderson or, or Tony La Russa would talk a guy that he's had so much success that we need to shut the F up and listen to him talk. And this is a guy that you're going right. to like, we got to take what he says just off. Yeah. Like, like when Tony used to talk and people used to be like, why are you guys so up Tony? Like, the guy's got that many rings. Like Bruce Bochy can sit there and you're like, yeah, like it's like, it's like when I argue baseball with Ozzy. Any argument with Ozzy that I have, even though I know I might be right from a, a, a number standpoint, he always can trump me and say like, well, how long have you been in? Pro-? Like he can always drop that card because of his credentials, just like I can do with him in other things and in, in other fields. But with with this manager, he thinks that he's always right, and you're like, and you're in your seat saying, who the f are you? Like you have had zero success as in the position that you're currently in now you've had success or nowhere uh even as a coach you can't say oh i was uh you know i was uh this coach for this guy and we won 25 world series and you know like joe madden you know was the anaheim bench coach for like 15 years and he had had all this success before he managed this guy does not have that so when you're portraying that and they talk about culture it's like who's bringing in the culture like what culture is this you can't just open up the book and say culture. Like, who are you? Where are you bringing it from? Where is it coming from? So if it's the front office guys that have tried to shift that of like, we're going to make this like kind of like rebuild White Sox, like it's our own way type of thing, because they don't even have the change the game anymore. Like they went from like having a wild culture of we don't pay attention. We have no rules. We just play when we want, wilding out, do whatever we want. Now they don't even have that. Like that's gone. It went from change the game to change the channel. No, I'm just saying, like, they don't even have that. Like, you look at guys, like, you look at T.A. playing, it's like a complete different person after the knockout. He's still a good player, but the swag's like, he ain't flipping bats and, you know, doing the thing. He's he's doing his own different thing, which is great. It's fine. Whatever makes him happy. You know, Moncada's a whole, like, you look at the demeanor of the players and it's not what it used to be. So you can't even go back to that. So it's like, what's the culture? What's the thing? And I know people are going to go crazy in spring training and BS and uh, everyone's just going to go nuts like they did last one. This is not going to be last year where we were naive and they cannot have a press conference where the manager drops words. Like, go literally, if you're bored tonight, can't go to bed, watch the White Sox press conference. Like, legitimately, just when you're at home, watch it. Just watch it. And I analyze it and I think about it and I say, this is the – other than a political – other than a political – Press conference in Venezuela, where the country I'm from, so I'm going to talk about it, where you know that it's the person's out light, flat out lying, like legitly lying to you. You're like, you literally just got caught with the weapon in your hand. You just got caught like on camera and you're still lying. And like, we still believed it. And now we know more. So you cannot pull that off again. It's fans are not going to allow that. It, it's not. The, yeah. Like and, and it's transition because it happened like as we saw this like they lied about the interviewing process for the manager and they 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 got away with it and it was fine but then they noticed that this guy was never interviewed there's no way that this guy beat these other guys in the interview process because there's because right. no he's either a con artist or he's not good that for the general manager position they just flat out came out and said we didn't interview anybody we just picked Chris 
And you're like, okay, cool. So I'm assuming that for the banister and these guys is hiring, they didn't really interview anybody else. They basically went to the guys that they wanted and said, hey, do you want to come work for the White Sox? This is how much money we got. So it wasn't like a, let's have a, you know, let's, I don't think people were lining up and saying, hey, we're going to go there. They probably had to overpay. You know, they had to bring guys where their careers needed to shift, which is great. But moving forward, like in this offseason, I'm not expecting anything different. I'm not expecting them to, if they're going to look for a right fielder, they're going to go look for the right fielder they can afford. They're not going to go look for the right fielder they should get. They're not trying to have the base players. And they're, they're in a position of none uh, where they can't basically have any leverage. Which the position players, out of the position players, there's three spots they're going to need to fill. And that would be catcher, right fielder, and the backup outfielder. I was gonna um, say we we don't we don't have a we don't have a backup center fielder and that's the Lurie. most vulnerable part Lurie. of the oh, oh. no bring him we don't back. deserve bring we don't him. deserve, we don't deserve Larry. Garcia. the greatest we home run him. the great this is by the way clip it 105 clip it the greatest home run in the window was Larry Garcia going deep in the playoffs in the blackout game in the last playoff appearance that's the biggest home run in the in the in the window history. That's sick. No, that's it. Larry's home run is the biggest home. It's not. It's not the little Iowa game where they played, where you know the, the play with the uniform. It's not that. It's not the bat. No, Larry Garcia's home run in the playoffs to take the lead and win against Houston in the blackout game. Blackout game 2.0 was the greatest home run in the window in that era. And it wasn't even hit by any of the core members of the window. And really quickly, I'm going to uh, go on the opposite side to the pitching staff here. Summarize this. You're looking at Cease and have to pick up the mutual option, which is most likely because of the how political the uh, league is right now with Clevenger. You're likely going to have Clevenger. So Cease and Clevenger are two. Then you have three spots, and I brought up Nostradi and Mania Leisure. Yeah, ideal world, you'd love to see your rotation filled out. But realistically, I'd imagine Nostrani's probably the best of the three to get one of those spots. So you got three, and then more than likely you got two spots to fill in free agency. Go, And that's five, five of 13 right there. And then you go to the bullpen, and with right-handed pitchers, I'm looking at Kopech, Cronin, Burke. I think Burke and Thompson are just – realistic names but um again yeah. that's up that's we'll see how that shapes but left-handers you got crochet uh jake edder and kai bush bush from the gilito trade wow. and edder from the burger trade so those are the three lefties coming out of the bullpen i mean uh, with the with the pitching staff going into next year i'm interested to see david garcia and luis patino because if you, if you look at patino and his run with the White Sox this season, it's been absolute trash. He's been dog shit. And I know for a fact he is not that bad. I can I can bet my bottom dollar Luis Patino is not as bad as he looked in a White Sox uniform right now. I cannot wait for him to turn the page next year. Yeah, but there's a reason why Tampa let him go. So, so Tampa let Carl Crawford go and Longoria. <laughs> As far as pitching goes, when I see pitchers leave and not join them, I'm a and little concerned. And they let go. And then it wraps it up with Santos, as, Santos as the closer because I, I wouldn't pick up the option on um, 
Hendricks at this moment. Um, but I got to pull up the little note that I took here. Um, since Justin didn't pull it up, I got it here. Um, what yeah, the I only got one goes. message from you earlier. Yeah, there's two DMs to pull up. So Benintendi is going to go from eight to sixteen and a half million. Roberts can go from nine and a half to twelve and a half. Mancada seventeen to twenty four million. Eloy Jimenez nine and a half to thirteen. Anderson, if he stays, will go from two and a half to fourteen. Cease and Vaughn will probably see raises of at least three million total. So there's twenty six and a half million in raises. So that basically cancels out with all the trades that they did at the deadline. Wait, so, so you're at much, zero. How much is Munkana getting again? How much is Munkana getting again? Twenty four. Uh, twenty four. So thank you, thank you, Uncle Rick. Thank you, thank you so much. Everything, <laughs> everything, everything flattened out there with the trades that happened at the deadline, and I'm estimating the budget left to be less than 80 million chris gets will work with to come up with filling out this i don't think I he's gonna put too much into the bullpen by the way if bennett sorry to interrupt yeah. you so if bennett tenny's making 16 80 million will get you a backup catcher and a water boy <laughs> <laughs> what can 80 million get you legitimately i'm just being i'm just being funny i'm like I, i'm honestly like 80 million is a lot of money but it's like when you hear bennett tenny's making 16 you're like what can 80 really get me hmm they need to use trade, man. They need to trade people. There, they need to get with 80 million. Legit, probably you'll probably get Rod Barajas, Mark Kotze. I, 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 bro, I'm, I'm being honest. Like, you look at some of the money these guys, some of these guys are gonna get paid, like to get some, some guys in the free agent market, considering the teams that you're gonna be competing against, other teams are gonna overpay. So, you're gonna be in situations where you got guys that. Are not in a multi-year. That's why I don't think Clevenger's coming back to the White Sox. I don't think he is. I think that he goes into like a Cincinnati or something like in a weird sign for like a uh, the Twins. Somebody's in a signing uh, for like the multi-year so deal. Junior, that's the thing that we talked about last week. The fact that he's been on waivers this whole time for the past month. No, no one has picked him up. Yeah, because he's been have, it's, a, it's a mutual option. He can opt mm -hmm. out. Of this option does not mean he goes to the team for next year. That's what people don't right. get. But if you so opt out, out, he's gonna opt out because he's gonna want to get more money. But no one's gonna pay that. Ah, you'd be surprised. He's gonna opt well, out. They know. They know that they. Won't, I don't think they're moving. For the fact, for the fact that no one picked that picked him up, it's very political right now. I, I can tell you right now, the Dodgers and San Diego. San Diego's about to cut two hundred million dollars in payroll. I'm yeah. pretty sure. They'll definitely, they'll definitely try to pick up the pieces with a Mike Clevenger, especially if they're trying to sell the 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 fan base on. We still got a fucking shot at some postseason success. So here's the thing: so people don't realize this. Maybe a team does not think it's worth to spend the money on him now for this season, but going into a new year and having a contract where you know you might have him for multiple years, and he's not going to be a rental pitcher. You take. You might take the shot, which is he's in the same situation as Giolito. Is Giolito coming back to the White Sox because he sucks? Well, that's, so that's the thing. Originally, I thought for sure he was going to opt out, and the team would, you know, overspend in free agency to get him more than twelve million. 
But the fact that the Sox dropped him on waivers, they really pushed the hands of the league by allowing him to go on waivers. No one picked him up. You know how many playoff teams can need a guy like Clevenger right now? Because I brought up last week the numbers he's putting up. He should earn more than $12 million last year, but the fact that no one picked him up shows me how political the, the league is right now with these owners. And He might opt out and not pick him think, think about this. Think, think about this. Look at the Atlanta Braves right now, and look at that pig, Marcel Ozuna, and all the stuff off the field that he's done all where his name has been the last four and a half years. You think Atlanta cares about – all of that stuff, it's winning time. Marcelo Zuna is hitting 35-plus bombs a year for them. Well, that's the way, case, though, by the someone would have picked him up by now. By the way, um, what's-his-face is off the, the free agent market, too, so there's a less one less pitcher in the market. The lefty, Dodgers. He's not pitching next year. Gershaw. Uh, uh, Urias. Oh, Urias. He's, he ain't pitching next year. So no, he's, one not, he's fucking popped. He's, he's popped. popped twice. He's done. He's popped for what Clevenger allegedly has never been popped for. So exactly, Clevenger's not going saying I love Chicago that much. So I, if I'm Clevenger and they give me one one more million for a two year, because the White Sox just the other part, Clevenger's trying to get time. So he might take less money for a multi year deal because the last thing he wants is to come pitch on a one year deal and get hurt and, and start this process all over without the guarantee. So the team's like, hey, I'm going to give you twenty five for three years. You might say, I take it. So that's the other part where people are talking about where teams are going to try to get creative and say, hey, you want you want time and you want years in the big leagues? Like you want – because right now, Clevy's at seven years in the big leagues. He wants that 10-year. So yeah. you, you're trying to be three smart. For 25, uh, three He's for 25. Three for 25 is 8.3 a year. You don't think San Diego Padres is in the market for that? The New York Mets ain't in the market for that, especially when I could just quick fix right now? You don't think the Cardinals are in the market for that? Yep. Especially when the Cardinals got the offense. It's a big difference. Big difference. Big difference trying to get someone appropriated, trying to get somebody adapted to your clubhouse with a month of the season left. Because sometimes you don't want to ruin the chemistry of the team in a playoff run because of the optics. But in spring training, you got time, man. Spring training, you got nothing but time. Time As much as I want to believe that. No, you want to believe it because if you don't have Mike Clevenger, your team sucks more. That's what you want to believe (laughs) <laughs> no, you don't even allow me to complete what I'm saying. As much as I want to believe that, you would think if that was the case, he would have been with his agent over the past two weeks, talking to other, you know, talking to other teams and uh, getting something finalized, so he can prove himself in the postseason and really show himself out. You're not allowed to talk when you're on waivers. You can't say like a sign and trade clause. They can't do what they did for Freddie Garcia, like unless you have an inside inside. Freddie left like 35 million, probably 40 million on the table. Because it was a trade and sign that he agreed to before. Even again, if you're if you're a team in the hunt, you'd think you would push for an arm like him showing himself out off the yeah. second half. I agree. I agree. Think about this, Gonzo. Shot at Toledo. Think about this, Gonzo. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Ra- the Tampa Bay Rays can fix any pitcher on the planet. We've seen that with Jay Dickman and countless other names. They lost Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, and Shane McClanahan within three months of each other. You didn't think they were in the market for Mike Clevenger, who's a hometown guy from the area? Very familiar. You would hope so, but clearly not. If he's still in the They got R. Kelly playing shortstop. I'm pretty sure the alleged stuff with Mike Clevenger would have been put on the back burner for a World Series. Jay, the fact is, he's still on the White Sox. 
he didn't get picked up. I think it might be more of a money thing. Again, we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, I know White Sox fans want him gone, so it's kind of like a win-win for me. I don't want him gone. I want a 10-year extension. I don't think it's money if Giolito got picked up. Giolito's making more. Because Giolito is a cut clean, oh, this guy's going to fix it. Everyone thinks Giolito's the great, the savior. Everyone does for some reason because he's a nice, how are you doing? doesn't have crazy hair. And he's like, hi, mom. And like, he's like that guy. Like, he has a good image. <laughs> I could have told you Jolito was not going to be good in a postseason run. I've seen him pitch in the postseason. That's why people look at analytics and look at all that. They, they, they needed a, a warrior. That's the big difference. That's the, the, the difference in winners and, and losers. And Anaheim took a guy. By the way, you you don't think the White Sox might go after Giolito and try to extend him and guess they have a big kumbaya back on the south side? Mm-hmm. It could happen. Because you got to think, his his tenure away from the White Sox wasn't as good as Giolito would hope. His stock dropped that I would be shocked if he got $80 million. Yeah, because he's not going to get more than Jordan Montgomery. On the market right now, especially what Montgomery is turning. I said that he would make over 120 million dollars in the free agent market two years ago, and I was off by like 60 million. That's Geo's fault. That's not your fault. No, correct, correct. But again, so is that somebody the White Sox extend? And you know, I just, I just, if 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 you're Chris Getz, you want to be careful with that situation because you end up. Blocking, you'll you'll end up blocking the rotation. Lance, the White Sox generally Lance, only Lance need like, Lance yeah. No, Lance Lynn is the only person in the middle of a Cy Young run. His agent calls a team and tells him, "We want an extension." Hmm. Why? You're in the highest point of your career right now, Lance. Why do you want to get extended so bad? That's mm-hmm. called a red flag. And the Sox did not bite. The White Sox took the whole bait, swallowed the whole thing, and extended him. Yeah, and he was in when it was winning time. Right after, like, don't get me wrong, he was great with Tony Larusa, but once Grafal got in here, he was posting a seven ERA. Oh, he, the screaming looked different, and that wraps. Yeah, up. he was screaming in agony. Yeah, he did not do well with Pedro. He did great with Tony. Did not do great with Pedro. A lot of guys have not done great the with Pedro. Wasn't sweeping, right? By the way, a lot of guys have not done good with Pedro. Let's let's throw that other one out there. <laughs> And that, wraps up, that wraps up our internal discussion. And now we are going to transition to our MLB all-time series. Tonight we're talking second base, guys, second base. Justin, I'll let you lead off. Um, who's your all-time second baseman? Tell me why. Tell me how. Tell me where he's at in your lineup. Uh, well, um, this is actually the leadoff hitter in my lineup. I'm going with a fellow Sagittarius, my birthday twin, Craig Brigio. Um, When you look at the total body of work, and I understand a lot of people, my co-host on another show, uh, Shy Nine, shout out to him. He thinks that Jose Altuve is the best Astro in history. And, you know, in totality, you look at the championships and all of that. I want to agree with him, but my guy is Craig Brigio. Um, let's just dive into a little bit of numbers. Obviously, he's a member of the 3000 Club, uh, 311 career BABIP, Gonzo. So, you know what that means when he puts the ball in play, it, he's generally successful. Um, 490 career steals that actually is amazing to me, considering that I don't think 
Craig Biggio was that fast. I think he had great anticipation, and he was just an outstanding baseball player. Um, 400 on-base percentage, 50 doubles, 50 steals in 1998. One of the best seasons ever put together by a second baseman, let alone a player for the Astros. Uh, Craig Biggio is just one of my favorite players, y'all. I'm, I'm not even fit a fucking cap. Like, he's the leadoff hitter for my all-time team, my second baseman. Sagittarius, the man. Damn. You said where is that in your line? You stole my initial pick. Where is he at in your initial lineup, you said? Uh, I got him batting leadoff, right behind Pudge. Right behind Pudge. Well, right behind Pudge, I should say. Oh, yeah, Jeff Bagwell batting second. Yeah, I actually switched him and Pudge. I moved Bagwell down to uh Oh to man, eight. Justin's sweating in his lineups, man. He's like yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. AJ, you you are picking back to back Astros on me, man. I know. And guess what? I don't know how I feel about it. I just this. bought a new trash can too. Whew. All right. Uh so, OJ, I, I told the chat last week, me and you agreed at first baseman with uh, Albert Pujols. Um, did you have him batting fourth like I did, or where, where, you, where did you have him? Uh, yeah, th- yeah, I would have him batting, batting fourth because of the speed. Yeah. yeah. I'll you I don't remember what I had. What did I have Pudge hitting? What did I have Pudge hitting? I think you said ninth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had him at eighth, and I think he went nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my lineup, I got, I got, I got BGO Pudge one two, and then eighth, I got Bagwell. Okay, so my my biggest argument, um, BGO is is up there, and and I and I had a debate on, and and I know that Justin does not believe in war. Um, but when you only played 1,995 games at second base, okay, and the guys that you're competing against have played 2,500-plus games at the position, I think Biggio had a little bit more time to focus on certain aspects of hitting, uh, and his positions were kind of, like, flexible. Well, I mean, he uh, – well, Biggio was uh, a the prototypical – like, he was, a, he was a utility guy. Like, he was a catcher. Yeah. He spent time catcher, in center field. field. But, I, you know, but he is, he is a 3,000-hit guy. So he was a guy that I have – I used to have Roberto Alomar higher than him, but I actually believe that he is probably the most underrated second baseman of his, of his time. Yeah. But – but – that being said, there is a player that was one of the kings of consistency. His war is actually 100.4. Okay. Did not get to the 500. <laughs> never got to the 3,000 hits. But his OPS is 819. His OPS plus is 132. Stole over 600 bases. Okay. Drove in a thousand plus runs, two hundred and fifty plus home runs. Not being a power hitter in that time, okay. And in the value, because he, in my opinion, 
He played on one of the greatest teams ever assembled in Major League Baseball. And he had the highest war of those teams. He is a two-time champion, went to the World Series, I believe, five-time, ten-time All-Star, two-time league MVP, league MVP as a second baseman, uh, five-time gold gloves, um, and one-time winner of the Silver Slugger, which was not as popular at the time. Uh, His name is Mr. Joe Morgan. Morgan! Yeah, Gonzo, you're fucked. He's a very, very, very scary dude. Um, and I'm going to throw an honorable mention there because we're on a White Sox show. Nelly Fox is the greatest defensive shorts uh, second baseman of all time uh, by defensive metrics. One bad dude looking at his numbers. He was a guy that I was going for, but Morgan and Biggio, he was kind of there in the mix because I believe Morgan's numbers are actually better compared in the era that he played. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's why it's not fair to Biggio because if you compare if, Biggio, if you Biggio, if you look if you dive into it, and I know Gonzo's gonna uh, you know try to help us with this. If you look at Joe Morgan's numbers in totality, he was the predecessor to uh, a Juan Soto type hitter. Whereas his value is when it's get when it's time to get into the batter's box, we're gonna brawl, and I'm gonna give you a professional at bat a thousand percent of the time. This man, Joe Morgan has had a, uh, in a in a decade span, well, not even a decade, let's just say eight year span from 1969 to 1977, a thousand walks, 2,200 total bases in an eight year span. We're, ta- we're, we're talking about a guy who's not that tall and not that fast, OJ. Correct. That's a lot of production and that's a yeah. lot of activity from somebody that's human size. And a lot of people argue that he played on the greatest teams of all times and his numbers are inflated because you know, his, uh, you know, his, and, and one of the things I'm going to, I'm going to be honest here, one of his big knocks and one of the reasons that I did consider Biggio, okay. Had they played the, the war number threw me off. Okay. But Biggio getting to 3000 hits in the modern era and Joe not doing it in the big leagues. And when he played 22 complete seasons was something that I was holding against him had his war not been that high. Um, but his obviously at the time the slugging and whatnot, but that's his defense was that much better than than Biggio's, where his WAR also got held by the defensive side of it. But Craig uh, Biggio's hitting the three thousand hits as a second baseman is something that is very very underrated. Uh, probably one of the most underrated guys with three thousand hits in Major League Baseball. Yeah. So in my time, the greatest player I ever saw playing second base offensively and maybe all around was Biggio for hands down. Oh, I don't know. Cano? Cano would be my pick of the offensive second baseman. But as far as like total baseball player. 3,000 hits is just scary. That's sick. Robert Alomar? Roberto did not get the 3,000 hits. His numbers really And maybe in a, if you did just the best eight years, Roberto really dominated early in his career. Biggio was the king of consistency, where even at the end, yeah. he was producing at a level where Roberto was not there. Again, when the White Sox went in 2005, he was already a, a more than a seasoned veteran. He was one of the key hitters on that team. So that's I think he posted he posted a nine. Uh, I, I forgot what year, but Robbie Alomar posted a 950 OPS with less yeah. than 20 home runs. Do you know how hard that is? Do you know how how frequently you have to be on base to do that. 
Well, yeah. um, he, he uh, Morgan uh, owes OPS in the 1976 season at 32 years old was uh, 1.020, so an OPS yeah. of a thousand. Um, yeah, eleven hundred OPS, bro. OB, his OBP was four forty. He hit three twenty, and he only did it that year. He had the most home runs. He had twenty seven home runs, uh, and only one hundred and fifty hits. So again, one hundred fifty one hits. So again, talking about a guy that you think was getting balls hit when he hit him, he was hitting him a lot of places. But he was a walk machine. He was a guy that uh, walked one hundred and fourteen times that year. Something that back then was unheard of. He was the ultimate do. He was the ultimate do a job guy. Like my favorite, my favorite Joe Morgan stat is in 1976. He had 12 sacrifice flies. That means any runners that was clean, because you got Dave Concepcion and you got mm-hmm. Johnny Bench. Okay, that means you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to get to RBIs in. because those are sluggers. They hit the ball out. Of, they hit the ball out of the ballpark. So when you're up to the plate with guys on, you have to isolate that at at bat in that particular time because that's the way the nature of the game is played it's not played with just strikeouts home runs and slugging percentage no you have to be successful with your outs too uh he drove in 111 that year um so one of those greatest years that's one of the the one of those years that he won mvp he also won back-to-back mvp something unheard of 31 and 32 years old without being the best player on the team Without being the best by the team, 75 and 76. Uh, and again, when you look at Morgan's numbers, uh, playing time, he didn't have a season with a hundred on less than 140 games till he till 1981 at the age of 37, where he only played 90. And after that, 134, 123, and 116 games at the age of 40 for the Oakland Athletics, uh, was very, very impressive. 160 games at the age of 40. Um, and that year he got a total of 89 hits, which, you know, one of his worst seasons, but crazy at the age of, again, 40. Damn. Then he would be – I would hit him seventh. Oh. Interesting. Well, once again, my pick was stolen, but that's okay. No, my pick was stolen. Who was your I pick? Know. Joe Morgan. <laughs> I should have left it for you. It's like a, I should have done Alomar. You should have done Morgan. You know. Yeah. Oh, I'm also a Joe Morgan. Like Albert Pujols, both played for 22 years. Um, yeah, 271 average, 392 OBP, 427 slug. You said 819 OPS, a 132 OPS plus, 2517 hits. Uh, I think. I don't think you, I forgot if you mentioned he had two MVPs. You brought up the war in the stolen bases, OJ. Um, the one thing I found really particularly unique was his fielding percentage was top 10 out of 15 out of the 22 years he played, which I thought that was pretty outstanding. Um, little unique stat there to uh, his career. Um, yeah, he, he took most of it out of my mouth, OJ. Um, Top 31 but, players in the history of the game with uh, uh, with the Windsor Board replacement. There's only been uh, – Yeah, so he, he's the 21st player, and, and it's wild. Pujols is the tw- is right above him at 20 uh, for war, so that was kind of um, wild when I was looking back at it. Um you have anything else um, from the stats 
No, no. I, I was just, I think that it was a player I think I would have liked to watch him play um, mm. because when you're that spectacular stat-wise in a team that you you pretty much could have the, one of the greatest catchers of the era on that team um, in Johnny Bench, and you can have the greatest hits batter of all time on your team, um, one of the best shortstop of the era. There's a lot of people on that team that, you know, were were amazing players and you you know hall of famers all of them were hall of fame you gotta think you gotta think uh, think about what type of stadium they played in they played in three river stadium that's a fucking that's a toy field the ball gets on you fast in that infield and and i was very surprised again the most impressive part i think about his career at the position again you can't hate it because is that a lot of the other guys when when i looked at uh except nelly fox but when i looked at guys um other position players, a lot of guys started DHing. So Rod Carew was a guy that I had on my list, but mm-hmm. Rod Carew stopped playing second base in 1975. He played like 13 years out of position, either at first base or DHing. So Joe Morgan played legitly his whole career at the second base position, where he never shifted to another position. Can I can I give you guys a hot take right now? Yeah. Rod Carew is the most fundamentally sound player in MLB history. Like if you if you if you take his career at second base, right, and he automatically mirrored that at first base, not only still being a defensive asset, but his back didn't change. Most like look at look at my boy Yohan Moncada, for example. Look at the difference in hit and him from going to second base and going to third base. Yeah, a lot of people like, argue that with P. Rose. P. Rose kept his hitting the same when he switched four times. Yeah, like that's hard to do. OJ, you talked about it earlier in the show. Like it's not easy to change positions, go from the rotation to the bullpen and have that because now I got to prepare every day differently. And again, Vigio, like again, he did it as a catcher, did it as a played 400, played 500 games in the outfield in the big leagues is a lot played 500 games almost in the catching position, like 340-something, 400, and then yeah. played second base, obviously, for the majority of it. But it's guys that they had success regardless of where they were hitting. So, again, I think that I would have liked to see Joe Morgan. Uh, it's my dad's favorite team, the Big Red Machine. Uh, I met Morgan, which was actually really cool that I have him on my list um, in the Hall of Fame. I've, I've met him a couple times. Um, so I've had the opportunity. So it's been someone that – I think that when you saw him on TV on ESPN, kind of talking baseball, you really didn't think numbers. That was, the, that was actually the golden age of yeah, my it, fandom was John Miller and Joe Morgan yeah, Sunday so night more, baseball. I, I don't realize how good Joe Morgan was. Like when I was listening to him as a child, um, growing up, like how good of a baseball player he actually was. Until yeah. I start looking and breaking down numbers. When you compare him against guys that, again, when he's up there, when you're talking Robinson Cano, Alomar, and this guy's like. Whoa, this guy's got a hundred war. You're like, holy crap, like how and I give these guys credit because for me, I give credit to guys that played what I call modern day baseball, which is post-segregation, the game no longer being segregated, the game starts, the game starts changing. Then yeah. from there it goes, okay, now you know you're playing multicultures. Then the game in the 70s, you start adding like bullpens. Mound gets changed. It's like the pitching era. So, like anytime, just like I judge Biggio, like he played, 
he was putting up these numbers in an era where there was a lot of people juicing and pitching started, the, the velocity started getting crazier. So it's guys that have been able to play above their greatness in an era that, you know, the game was just changing in its own. So I always give credit for that. And people always say, I hate when people make lists and they drop some dude that played like in 1910 and played like him and his, all his cousins were on the same team. I'm like, there was no slide step. Hey, let me let me let me let me run by run this idea by you. How many times Craig Biggio and Joe Morgan took the field and wasn't the best player on the field, but it oh, turned I mean, out they not, were the best player on not, the field. It was they were probably, and again, you don't ever think second base is the elite position. It's the same thing with Robinson Cano when he was on the Yankees, where these guys played on such again, he played with Bagwell his whole life, where people were like, Bagwell's the guy. And, and you would think like, oh, yeah, Jeff Bagg was a guy or, you know, other guys on those teams that were, uh, you know, Ken Jose Caminiti. Cruz. Yeah, Jose Cruz, Ken Caminiti. Um, well, you never nice thought that, that he was the guy. But in, in reality, when you're looking at it, if you're really analyzing it, he was the guy. Like, he was. He was, the, he was literally the stir that stirred the whole drink. Correct. He was the kickoff guy. Yeah. So... But no, 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 I, I, in this group, no argument. Again, Roberto Alomar was a guy, but I don't think that he had the longevity um, yeah. that we could argue. Again, I don't Bobby know, 10, probably, 10 gold gloves. He had a 67 war in 17 years. I think Robbie was my favorite. I think he was like the beginning of what Robinson Cano later took to the next level. He was like the modern day second baseman of I can do it all, run, catch, throw, steal, look good doing it um but when you look at these numbers like like pool holes like i don't think i grew up being like i love pool holes i probably had like 10 players that i like more than him or i could pick 10 second basements that i like more than joe morgan but when you look at the numbers you have i have to give them credit you cannot deny that i cannot deny that it, it's like we, we we was having that conversation i'm sorry Gonzo, i just want to add this look at the conversation we were having me and you oj about steve garvey versus joey Votto. Joe Morgan is basically the black second base Joey Votto. And you see what type of conversation that puts him into. Yeah. Like, that's how cold Joe Morgan was. Yep. Agree. And as we wrap it up, um, Joe Morgan, I'm putting him ninth in my lineup. Wow. At least tell King Mac you always got to bet on black. I will. He's going to turn the lineup over. Oh, my God. And so far, it's over fourth for me, Pudge eighth, and Joe Morgan ninth. Our lineups look very similar. I got Pools at four, Morgan in seven, Pudge at nine. Yeah. I need to – I'm letting you guys know right now. Like, oh, I, just got, I got more thump. Shortstop in center field. I'm just going to put that out there now. I've got some thump in the middle there. Yeah, that's what I'm – I'm leaving all, the, all of the OPS and the slug. <laughs> For three, four, five, we're gonna build Earl Weaver's team. Earl, yeah. I got no holes in my lineup. I'm just gonna say hey, that. Calm down. You so already far, chose Albert Pujols. Have no, so far, I have no steroid positive test. <laughs> you chose y'all chose Albert Pujols over Eddie Murray. Y'all gonna pay for that? What? what are you talking about? It's not even close. Yeah. yeah. Eddie Murray. How many home, run, many home runs do uh, Albert Pujols got hit in left hand? I just have to hit left-handed. Yeah. He doesn't have to. By the way, if Albert Bull did not play in the same time as Barry Bonds, he'd have like nine MVPs. (laughs) 
I don't even think Alvin Pujols so, was a better Cardinal than Jim Edmonds, but that's for another conversation. Took over his soul. Yeah. Uh, but hey, by last time, next time we talk, next time we talk, do the White Sox have a hundred losses? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So how many are they going to lose? One hundred three. Damn. That's fucking. That fucking sucks. So, so that wraps up. up. That wraps up our second baseman. Next week we're going to shortstop. Tune in Hi. for our shortstop people. And right now we're going to the grand finale of picks. No, God. Justin's not happy because he's in last place again because OJ's one. Watch that again. Hey, watch that again word, okay? Just say I'm in last place. You don't have to say again. You don't need no fucking timestamps or nothing. By the way, uh, three weeks in a row I got? Three weeks? Three Three weeks in a row. Robert Mankata Robert was your three weeks consecutive streak oh here. God. Robert is off the board. We're gonna we're gonna go quick here. I got seven. Junior and Slav are tied at six, and Jay is well, I guess third technically, um, with five. Um this so is it, boys. What you gonna say? I'm this third and a half. I'm third ish. You're, you're third ish. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the scenarios of what can happen? Like the break it down. Um you and Slav can win and tie for first with me. Um, you can win and win it. Jay can win and it could be a three-way tie for second, or okay. I can win and single-handedly have a two-game lead. Okay. That's the breakdown. Um, Robert's off the board. It's gonna go junior, me, Jay, and then Slav because have Slav you ever thought about game. maybe I'm losing every week because I pick last? No, because that hasn't been the case. Well, still, I need answers. <laughs> You're picking last because you you pick guys like. <laughs> I picked Corey Gavin Lee. Sheets last week. I picked Gavin Sheets last week. Corey Lee for two weeks. Oh man, Ooh. you picked Corey Lee the last two weeks. Yeah. So, so, I'm, so Robert's I'm off the board. Denies. Junior, you have free reign to pick uh, who you want. I'm I'm kind of confused right now. I'm like debating in between two players. Um, it's going to be a hard pick this week because obviously I want to keep the Moncada. Uh, the Moncada Pantera kind of like mix. Um, but I'm going to, I think that I'm going to ride this hot hand. I think he's the hottest player right now. I'm going to go with Eloy Jimenez. Damn it. I think he's All the right, best player right now. You're going Eloy. God damn, I was hoping you would drop. Screw it. He's hot. He's the hottest hitter right now in the second half. I'm going with Yohan Moncada. So this could decide it because Moncada was my first pick. So that could decide my pick, whichever went right there. It doesn't matter what the next guy's pick. It's this where you are I gonna win it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's Jackie with the next pick. Come on, Jake. Hold on. Hold on. Give me some good. Give me some right good. Now. Elvis Andrews still available? No, nah, you know what? Since Gonzo wanna bet on black. 
I'm going to follow his uh, lead. Uh, with my pick, I'm going with T.A. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Daryl Boston. No. <laughs> what's, what's Debo's OPS the last eight years? Stop. Uh, There's not much OPS at first base. Stop then. Give us a pick. Um, he, I I'm talking about OPS that I fucking picked him. Man. Okay, put it this way. I am part of the problem. Okay, put it this way. We'll give Slob this. If the White Sox don't lose 100 games, we'll give Slob the point. All right. What? So if, if they if they don't lose 500. 100 games, if they end the season at 99, Slob wins the point. Okay. Yeah, hopefully Slav don't lose. So, let me wrap up Slav here in the notes. Slav. You don't want to have a 100 season? 100. I do need need the D-backs to make the White Sox bite the curve so the Cubs can lose a little bit of ground. Updated picks is going to be Junior picking Eloy. I'm going with Mankata. Jay's going Tim Anderson, who's the second. Hottest player in the second half, and Slav is under 100. Um, that wraps up our picks. Quick click. Do yep. you think that it's the first time in MLB history that somebody says, we're going to kick your ass, and then th- that team loses 100 games? Is that like the best contrast ever? I got to go back and look. OJ, I'm going to be honest with you. You pro- you guys are probably going to have to suspend me when we do the end of the season address. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm just, is this the biggest, like, it's, it's, when I look at Oakland, I look at other teams like, but like a hundred, like even the Padres are not even like, they're not good. Like, oh, we didn't get into the playoffs. Like, cause I lived it with my father, like the White Sox in 06 were supposed to make the playoffs. They won 90 plus, they didn't make it. 07, it was like, oh my God, the world's going to end. They only lost what, 90 games or something. Uh, they weren't close to a hundred. Um, 93, I think. Uh, Ozzy Guillen with the 2012 Marlins, okay, even after the trades and everything that was bad, they were going to fire him. He didn't lose 100 games. Jesus. 100 is like a big, like a 100 is like, like a, hundred, a 100 is a no no. No, correct. Like a hundred, so 100, like for a team that doesn't expect it, for a team expects is like whatever, but for a team that doesn't expect it, 100 comes at you fast. Like it's only happened, what, four times in White Sox history? Yeah. But I mean, I've, I've, how many times have happened after 1992? I don't know, man. Like, that's for, for the White Sox? Damn near all of them. Wait, for the White Sox? Yeah, the, the 100 lost seasons. Hold on. Let's, well, let's look them up. So, obviously, you have the, 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 hold on. Let's look this up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so obviously, right off the bat, we can guess that it's the the. the... Okay, here we go. Nineteen ninety-two. So ninety-three. Okay, so they didn't lose after ninety-two. The first one hundred game losing season. So they don't have none in the nineties. Okay, they don't lose any game. They lose a hundred games in the nineties, not even once. The most they lost was eighty six. Then you go into the two thousands. 
they did not lose 100 games in the 2000s. So all of the 100 lost seasons oh, came oh, so in. Those 04, 79, 76, 79, 63, 72, 90, 74, 83, 74, 83, 77. So the worst loss in Ozzy's era was 90. Then in 13, they lost 99 games. They did not lose 100. Come on, man. We round up in America. Then 89, 86, <laughs> 84, 95. The only 100-game losing season was 2018. So this would be 2018, which was 18, and then in 19, they lost 89. And then that started, like, after that 89 season is when they started the, the COVID year, which, again, we don't know how they would have done in the COVID year. We, they could have lost whatever. But then they won 69 and then 81 and 81. So that 95 and 100. So in 17, they won 95. So in 17, they're exactly at – they already lost more games in 17, I believe, right? Yeah. Yep, so they already lost more games in 17. Jesus. So right now they're between 17. Let me look at the. This is interesting, man. So they've 17. I look at other 90-game seasons. So Ozzy lost 90 in 2007, so they're way past that in any time of his era. So they way past him. And then the next 90-game losing season is 1989. So in 89, they lost 92. They passed that. In 88, they lost 90. They passed that. In 86, they lost 90. They passed that. You have to go all the way up to 1976. They lost 97. And then before 76 in 1970, they lost 106. And then they lost 68, 69, 95, and 94. So those were... So we can go oh, back. I'm glad I wasn't alive back then. Oh, yeah, correct. So, like, <laughs> other than that, that's, like, the worst time frame in White Sox history, uh, unless you go back to, like, 1934. In the 60s, I'll probably be an Orioles fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, there's not that many 100-game losing seasons. And, and when you start think, throwing it out there, like, only a couple 90s. So it's it's interesting. It's it's uh, They're playing for history right now. They're playing for history. Every lose they get. It's in the history. So how many games left? How many? What's the most losses they can get? They get swept. Five, five games left. So they 96 games are at? <laughs> no, this this should be 100. So they there's wait. So there's, there's, they're at 96 wins, right? They're at 96 uh, losses. Are they at 96 losses, you said? <sighs> Shoot. So they need... So they can end up. Yeah, they had they had ninety seven losses right now. Yeah, oh, they're at ninety seven. So ninety seven plus five. So they can end the season at one hundred and two losses. Yeah, I was close at one on three. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting with Slav's pick. Five games left. They've they always been five hundred or under. So five games. So they said, let's say they go two and two. That would put them at 99. So that would make them that last year. So, but five games left versus, uh, you got two more left with Arizona and three versus San Diego. This has been a very uncomfortable conversation for me. Two teams in the hunt right now in the NL. Um, so San Diego's still in the hunt legally? Yeah. Because they're on a winning streak. They like, I think they're eight and two. Eight and two. The last season a winning streak. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Um, next week, we got a lot to go over. We're going to wrap up uh, the 2023 season, and then I think we should get into the uh, postseason talk 
around the MLB. Um, oh, okay, yeah, it ain't gonna be around the South Side. <laughs> but we're gonna go to shout outs. Um, Justin, I'll allow you to start off our shout out portion. Um, uh, as I know, it, you got some tentative news for us. Uh, with a heavy heart, I'm here to tell you guys that uh, this evening we lost Hall of Fame and Orioles legend Brooks Robinson, aka the human vacuum, aka the human highlight reel. Now, uh, you could talk about 25,000 innings played at third base. He won the MVP in 1964, 2,800 hits, 16-time gold glove. Now, when you look at Brooks Robinson in totality, what I liked about his career is that none of his offensive numbers jumped off the page. And yet, from day one of my baseball fandom, I knew he was one of the greatest third basemen to ever play the game. If you love the history and the culture of American baseball, it has to include Brooks Robinson. Um, I love the American League. I feel like that's what really got me into baseball. I love the Red Sox, love the White Sox, of course, I live here. But when you start diving into the aspects of baseball that you wasn't born to see, and you go and watch those black and white films, those drawings, uh, them caveman drawings of Brooke Robinson making plays down somebody's left field line, like you have to appreciate what he put together. Like he'll never, ever hear any of the OGs disrespect Brooks Robinson because they seen with their own eyes when they were growing up in the game, he was turning 11. So I just wanted to say, you know, uh, my condolences to the Robinson family. I feel like as a, as a student of the game, uh, his career really opened my eyes to the, re the positional responsibility of a third baseman. I guarantee you that the Baltimore Orioles would not trade those 16 gold gloves for silver sluggers, especially with uh, the way Brooks Robinson handles his business and went to work every day. Um, I said all that to say this uh, to the Robinson family, my deepest condolences, my prayers are with you. And to the Baltimore Orioles, you have a fucking job to do. Okay? You were the Cinderella's of the year. All right? You were go you were lipping into the postseason. Now you got some juice. You're not going to send Camden Yards home empty-handed. Not now. Not under these circumstances. So Birdland, I swear to God, you have a job to do. R.I.P. Brooks Robinson. Um, that's hard act to follow, but yes, one of the greatest of all time. We'll be up there in the list for third basemen. I'm sure uh, he will be one that will be debated a lot. My shout out is to the Chicago Browns three peating three P MSL Midwest Suburban League Triple A National League champions three dynasty. It is a dynasty. Three years in a row. Six years, four championships. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it was a good one. So very glad for everybody. Um, so shout out to the Chicago Browns. That, that should be apply. I could be applying. Technically, they, uh, I could have a better year than Grafal. They forgot the Browns forgot to call me up from single A. Yeah, <laughs> I'm disappointed. Just the Browns. Gonzo, if they, Gonzo, if they call you, I guarantee you, none of Ozzy, none of what Ozzy said would have came to fruition right there. <laughs> he would have had to fucking cut seven seconds of his 
a closing <laughs> remark if you played for the Broncos. Up like the White Sox, we had a good year. We're, we're, we're going through the motions. We have a process we're trying to follow. I would have we'll torn that some. Bridge when we get there. I would have yeah. torn some in my shoulder 10 games into the season had, with the we Browns. We had a parade. We had a parade. Oh, we're just worried about San Diego next week. That's what we're <laughs> focusing on. Oh, wait, you're focusing on not losing 100. Relegation. <laughs> that was good. Well, who are your sponsorships again for the, the championship year? Oh, uh, sponsorships were Morningwood Bats. Yes, that's the name of the company, Morningwood. Great wood, though. Legitly. Not like the legit. Or very, very good wood. Uh, maybe the White Sox are not using Morningwood next year. Um, how about their offense? And then uh, Mug Shots Bar and Grill out here in Homer Glen. Uh, great spot. We've got to hang out there one of these days. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, we got to pull up on Mug Shots. Good fun year. A lot of baseball debate. A lot of baseball debate talking. They're still giving me crap because uh, to my opponent, shout out, I'm 0-3. There's only one worse team than me in fantasy football, and it's in real football, and it's the Chicago Bears. Before they do. It's who's gonna get a win first, the Bears or me. So it's I'm hoping it's me this week. Oof. All right. Shout out. Uh, I want to shout out my one, one and only. Sorry, she is uh, studying for a big test tomorrow. Um, she got it, girl. She's got it. The uh, she's got, I believe in her. Um, who else want to give a shout out to? I gotta give a shout out to OJ because I'm gonna face him this week in fantasy, and I gotta. Give him a good old slap in the face because uh, I gotta get my second win in that league because I am now one. In, I won my first win this past week versus yeah, Ray the Buckerberg. Gonzo, Whew. I, I don't Ray. know. Now. I don't know if I would trade pick the click or winning in fantasy. I don't know. <laughs> nah, Ray, Ray got a little, uh, Ray got some smoke this week from me. So I'm. I, I told KG. Our boy and little Joe's don't call the comeback because I, you know, I, I started the comeback from 0 2. So here we go. Um, yeah, so watch out, OJ, this week. I'm coming for you. Um, I'm going to make sure that the Bears get the win before you. Bro, the, like, I was talking all that crap about Sleeper in the offseason. And the first week, my quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Achilles, gets rolled up like a Snoop Dogg blunt. Like, I'm so done with the league, bro. <laughs> But like, you're two and um, one. Just, you're two and one. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's not the two and one that I want. <laughs> you think I want to be relying on Derek Carr, Desmond Ritter, and Matthew Stafford? Let's make yes. a trade. Yeah, you know, Jay. Make uh, it work. It's too early to trade. Hey, I only Russ, make trades around like week six. Burrow, Burrow, I got, I got Burrow for you. Never. <laughs> I'm not touching him with a ten foot pole. King of the North. <laughs> Yeah, sure. King on one leg. He, yeah, he is. He's brand right now in a wheelchair. <laughs> All right. Any lasting thoughts here as we wrap it up? No, uh, good. Yeah, well, I was just going to say the way you said you had confidence in Soraya, it was like Matt Nagy saying he had confidence in uh, Justin Fields and Mitch Trubisky. So I'm very concerned. Yeah, I just – she's the only one that hasn't taken the test yet. and because she'd need extra time on for her uh, for the in the classroom, and she saw the scores from the exam. It was like, babe, what was it? Like thirteen people got either a D or an F on it. Nah. Uh, so, but I believe in her. She's gonna nail it. Yeah. We'll keep you guys upgraded when next show comes. How she did, but uh, that wraps it up. We had a nice little episode. Um, tune in the next week when we go over shortstop wrap up 
the uh, 2023 season. We're going to give you guys our best and worst takes from the year as we go back and reflect. That should be a good time because we keep the receipts. What? And we are going to take a look into the postseason. Wait. And that is going to be next week, episode 29, uh, approaching. Uh, yeah, 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 Justin. We're going back to uh, the receipts. So, <laughs> so, from Gonzo, myself, from Justin over there, from OJ, this was episode 28 of season one. Thank you for listening. I got to figure out what I lied about. Hold on. We are out. Research. Peace.